Welcome to Working Dog Wednesday, only on the Fueled by Joy Working Dog Podcast. As always, we are brought to you by Joy Dog Food. I'm your host, Josh Michaelis. Remember, for more information about Joy Dog Food and to find a Joy dealer near you, visit joydogfood.com. Now, on to the show. Hey, I can brag on Joy Dog Food all day long. But let's hear from someone new for a change. William Newby, pro trainer, why do you feed Joy Dog Food? The first off reason is I have seen the biggest difference in the dog food with the dogs, with the performance of the dogs, the hair coat, how they act as far as just stamina wise. The second reason why I feed Joy is because I absolutely love the company. It's a family-based U.S. mate, and anyone that stands behind working dogs like that company does, and they're taking care of the community, small-town communities, I just can't see any other reason besides the dogs and the dog feed why you wouldn't want to go with a company that is wanting to give back to your hometown in the U.S., There you have it, folks. If you want to feed Joy Dog Food to get your dogs fueled by joy, like myself and many others, go to joydogfood.com. We have a fantastic website. All the info is there. Go check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Josh Michaelis with the Fueled by Joy Working Dog Podcast, and it is Working Dog Wednesday, and I can't think of many dogs that work harder than running dogs. And I'm joined by James Hudson out in Virginia. Where at in Virginia at, James? We are in Appomattox, Virginia, right smack dab in the middle of it. No kidding. Yep, I mean, there's literally a sign about 10 minutes from the house that says Center Point of Virginia. <laughs> really? It's literally in the middle. Yes, how, far, how far are you from the courthouse, the famous uh, Civil War battle? Uh, literally right around the corner. Really? That's neat. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's about a three-minute ride. It's, it's, I'm just, I can appreciate the fact that you actually knew what it was. You'd oh, be I'm surprised how many his, people have no yeah. idea. I'm a history nut. If they don't know what Appomattox Courthouse is and what it signifies, then they've been living under a rock. That's a that's a pretty no brainer there. You would think, you would think, but I get, I get, we get told all the time. I've never heard of that place. Yeah, you probably have. You just don't yeah. remember it. Yeah, no kidding. But uh, yeah, we're gonna talk some running dogs today, James. And your course, fellow podcaster, you got the Hound Tales podcast, and uh, you guys yes, got sir. that fired back up. How is uh? How long you been doing that? So we started, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to remember all the dates. The past few years have been a little crazy. Um, I believe we started in the beginning of 2021. Mm-hmm. And we ran about a full year. We did right at 18 episodes. And um, it got kind of towards the end of field trial season and kind of getting the deer hunting season, the holiday season. So we said, okay, we're going to take a break. Um, and around, my, around that time, me and my wife uh, had gotten pregnant, and well, my wife got pregnant, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I always make fun. <laughs> and, of, uh, I always make fun of guys that say my wife and I got pregnant. I'm like, well, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it is 2023. You never yeah, know. Yeah, so. you never know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but we had our first son in in March um, of last year, so kind of put us on the back burner a little bit. You know, first kid and kind of. Take, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of getting used to. So, um, kind of took a hiatus from it last year, but we're getting it back up and rolling here now. We're going to try to carry it through hunting season, and and um, it's coming up and, and really rock and roll when field trial season picks back up again next year. Yeah, that's it's hard to juggle. Uh, trust me, <laughs> I know with the kid, <laughs> kids podcast hunting especially when you compete because uh right you're like me you enjoy the field trials i enjoy the night hunts uh, a big part of my job is going to cover them night hunts and stuff and of course you like attending your sport and i like attending mine but it's hard to juggle family work that and all that stuff it's a little easier now that you know it is my job but before it was my job 
uh, yeah, it was, it was just, I decided I would just cut out about five hours of sleep a night and I can make it a go. Yeah, that's, that's about what I'm doing. Uh, I just put some pen time for tomorrow night and right after work, I got to come home, kiss the wife and the baby and load the dogs up and head about an hour and a half South to go run some dogs. So yeah, that's... Uh, it's, it's tough. How old are you, James? 30, just turned 30. All right. Well, you got about another 10 years before it catches you. So just go as hard as you can. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I tell my wife all the time, I sleep when I'm dead. So yep. I'm, I'm going to keep rocking and rolling. Hey, don't, don't worry, honey. Eventually I'll be old and broken down and I'll have to stay home with you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So t- tell me about your dogs, James. You got, uh, you got, first of all, there's some, cause we're going to use some different dialect and, and terms here, but here we just call them running dogs and they're they're all they're all coyote hounds um if if you have a dog other than a beagle that runs game and doesn't tree (laughs) then it's a a running dog but you know i hear them called fox hounds i hear them called all kinds of different things what do you guys call them out there so we're lucky enough to be in one of the states there's nine states left that still allow deer hunting with dogs right so I actually have two different sets of dogs. I have, um, I do have foxhounds. That's generally speaking, that's what we call them because yep. they are American foxhounds or walkers, uh, but they're the American foxhound side of it. Right. And then I have uh, my deer hounds, and that's kind of a lot of most people just call them like you, like almost like you said, like a running dog or. Yep or uh, deer dogs or deer hounds, whatever you want to call them. And a lot of times those are just a mixed up bunch of different kinds of things. Yeah. Like my, like my litter, for example, they are, um, the grandma off of them is a purebred trail walker. Yeah. She was a coon hound from a guy and the guy said she wouldn't tree a coon for nothing, but, uh, would run the, the, the the skin off a deer so yeah. he's ended up giving it to my dad and she turned out to be an excellent deer hound and we just kind of bred along through her with some of his older tree stock dogs we also call them tree stock depending yep. on who you're talking to uh but that's kind of what the mix-up of them is and 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 how that goes around here at least is what we call them yeah i know and we have some some foxhound guys here, and we call, like I said, we call them running dogs. And all all because we don't have any fox, and we don't we can't we're not allowed to run them with deer, so they all all they run is coyotes. But right. uh, you know we have some hounds that are slow to get treed or don't want a tree, and, and are trail first type dogs. And you know a lot of guys get rid of those dogs, but we love giving them to running dog guys because it's a win win situation because they're usually pretty talented track dogs. Uh, mm-hmm. they work well in a pack. You can take them over there. You can run, run coyotes, run them with your coyote hounds. They're going to do all right. But every now and then you get them ones that are 18, 19 months old, two years old that stop and start treeing coons. Right. And then we, right. Get, then we get them back and they're just dynamite. <laughs> you know, all we, <laughs> right. do, we got to do is knock a few coons out to them. The hard, the hard work's done. Uh, the yeah, only, yeah. only problem we have is they like to pack up, you know, and that's, something that we try to fix if we can but they make excellent yeah i mean if a guy wants to just pleasure hunting tree coons those are some of the most talented tree dogs we've gotten back i believe that i believe that a deer scent you know just having to uh, or coyote scent whatever you know whatever the case may be just working those tracks like that and being able to hold on to them is is probably excellent for what y'all are doing yeah tell me about your tell me about your fox sounds how many of them you got james so right now, I, I believe it or not, I'm on the lower side of a lot of guys that are super competitive, but we are sitting at, uh, let's see, sitting at seven right now. Yeah. We're sitting at seven. Uh, we got some older retired dogs since I've been in it that have uh, fulfilled their duties in the field and gotten a little too old to compete. Yeah, and we keep them around. Just you know, they've been really good, and they a lot of times they will run both. A lot of my foxhounds they run they run deer as well, but right. their their main purpose for me is to run, you know for field trial and a fox and coyote or hunting. So, um, but I have I have seven of those right now. Um, I got one that my, was my first one. He's off some older stock. Um, anybody that's listening that's into the field trial world that's uh, around from this area knows uh, Mr. David Hellums. And uh, it's off of some of his 
off of some, some of his stock back in the, I believe it was the nineties. If I'm, mm-hmm. if I got my decades, right. Uh, Mr. David Hellams and that whole group was pretty much the man to beat. And he had a lot of white dogs. I'm a big white dog guy. Yeah. I love my white dogs. What's the, uh, what, uh, are they, are white dogs typically a different line or running walker that throw white um, or are they something different? Not necessarily. Um, I don't, I don't really know yeah. why, but I, it may be like this in the coonhound world too. I don't really, I don't, I don't really speak a lot of coonhound, but typically, in what you see a lot of white dogs are are the more tough, slower. They're not necessarily fast dogs, but they are very hunt driven. They're very track driven. But the, for some reason, a white dog always seems to hold a track. And me coming from the deer hunting world and not really growing up in the field trial foxhound world, I loved, I always loved that, that aspect. So that just tends to be where I gravitate to. And, uh, and I've just, I don't know. I've always, we've always had more white tricolor, uh, walkers. Mm-hmm. So that's just my, my, my roots show whenever I get a white dog. I can't, I can't help it. <laughs> so if there's a, if there's a litter of 10 and there's one white pup, that's the one you're getting. That's the one I'm going. Yep. That's the one I'm going. Absolutely. We, uh, we just had our first uh, litter that we're raising. I got a kennel partner, and we uh, we ended up riding a brood up, and she had her first litter back in December. But of course, it was the week of December that was like, I think the high temp was like a negative one degrees yeah. all week, and of course, you know we had heat lamps in the brood box, we had all kinds of stuff, and she had nine, but only three made it, so. Yeah. Uh, and she had a white one and that was the one I was going for. And he made it about three days and unfortunately didn't make it. But, uh, but yeah, a hundred percent. That's, that's what I go after is a white dog. I say it's hard raising a litter. I mean, where we're at, it's cold. And yeah. even, even in my kennels that are climate controlled and stuff, I know last year, cause what I do is I keep their water inside their dog house. Mm-hmm. And then all I got to mm-hmm. do is heat the building that, you know, they go outside uh, they got an outside run, and then they can come in through some slam doors, and it's all climate control. I got air conditioning, right. heat, whole works. But it got so cold for a week there last year that I couldn't even keep their water from freezing in their doghouse. Mm-hmm. I, I had to put an extra electric heater in there just to keep it to where the dogs would be comfortable. It is miserable raising puppies yes. in the winter. <laughs> even, yes, even if, you, yeah, even if you bring them inside, there's something biologically in there where them pups are going to struggle no matter how warm you keep it sometimes too. Yep. Yep. But I've always said though, the ones that do make it usually make some of the toughest hounds you'll ever have. Yeah. I know we've had litters with just one pup surviving where, you know, sometimes the mother's not a good mother Mm -hmm. uh, and then puppies are so fragile when they're born. I've been really lucky on the litters that I've raised and, and very rarely will we lose a pup, but some litters, you know, Fog was a was an example. She was a really good dog that could not raise a puppy, and, and we've had some litters that uh, guys that I know that would have one pup, two pups, and then ones that mm-hmm. made it were dynamite. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they were really yeah, good. yeah. We uh, the the three that actually survived, we are we're just started. They're hitting nine months old now, so we're starting to really run them and getting them in shape, and they're they're showing to be some very tough hounds, yeah. very tough hounds. So got a lot of hope for them and hopefully we can get some success off of them. We'll get into starting them pups here in a little bit too. Cause I'm kind of interested into how you guys do some of that stuff. And then I want to talk about, uh, field trial rules, how they're set up, uh, what kind of animal it takes to win in those events too. But back to the white dogs, um, mm-hmm. we have strains like there's the, there's clover, uh, if you get a clover-bred dog, it's going to be usually black and white with a lot of white on it, very little brown, maybe some around the eyes. Trader throws white-faced pups. Um, Hillbilly Deluxe was famous for throwing some white-faced dogs and had a lot of white on them. And, and so, you know, that with us, it's like we don't know if it's because the dog's white or if it's because the that's what the, all the dog throws and maybe it's just their line that makes them good or whatever you know but if you're getting, yeah. if you're getting dogs out of blanket back running walkers or something like that and you get a white one 
that is that an oddball? Is that something that you guys just don't see very often? It, it, it is. Um, and there's one that's throwing it right now, um, and he's actually a very popular uh, stud dog right now. It's uh, Spears Mountain Sergeant. Yeah. Uh, I've heard of so many litters that he's throwing, and it's the male side. It's not necessarily the female side. Um, and it always, and that's, our breed jip is out of Spears Mountain Sergeant. So it seems she's like somewhere in that back. line, yeah. he's got a, he's got something because she's most, she's a blanket back. You know, she's technically a tribe, but she's mostly yeah. like light brown, dark, you know, dark brown kind of black dog. And um, she threw that white. And then uh, I ended up, uh, I needed I, my, my deer stock dogs, my family line. Um, I have one dog left and he was my best dog and he, he's starting to get on up there in age. I said, well, I got to get something out of him. So I had her and I was going to skip a litter as far as field trial dogs go. So I ended up breeding him to her and he's mostly white, but she threw a lot of white, yeah, a lot of white. So I think somewhere in that Spears mountain, uh, Sergeant line, as far as he goes, it, it's a lot of white. I get it. Um, so, you're talking about your pups are nine months old now and you say that they they're looking good and they're doing you know that's showing some potential when do you know with them that you know this is something i might be able to try with um it it, it depends who you ask you, you'll ask me and i will tell you one thing and and you want to ask somebody else they will tell you a whole different thing but for for me, uh, so in, in the field trial world, there's there's puppy hunting, which is being able to run dogs up till they're you know compete dogs up to the one year old. Mm-hmm. Then you have the derby class, which is up to two years old, and then after that, it's what they call the all age class. Okay. So um, the way the pens are kind of set up and with game and um, just making sure you're not too hard on game and not overrunning the game. A lot of your pins are going more puppy hunting and derby hunting. Yeah. So a lot of these guys will start pups as young as five or six months old and start running them. And most of those guys can tell you before they're a year old, okay, this dog is, is tough. This dog's absolutely going to make it. You can go into the three day hunts and three day world and hunt with this dog or this dog's really, really fast, but after one day of running, he's, he, you got to rest him for a week. Yeah. So he, he, he'll make a, a hell of a one day dog. But as far as your, your multi-day dog goes, he's not, he's not going to cut and make the cut. I see. So you usually get some guys that say by a year old, 13, 14 months old. And that's a, that's a good rule of thumb. Um, you can usually tell, like I, I don't start my dogs early because my, my goal is the three-day world. That's where you make your champions. That's where um, your bigger events are. It's a more prestigious, in my opinion. Um, that's just that's that's my that's my game. That's where I take my hounds. That's where I want. So if I start them early and burn them out, they're not going to be good for me. They're not going to be any use to me after they're two years old. How, so how common, we didn't even how common? Ahead, I'm sorry. Is, yeah, you're fine. How common is burnout? Um. Very common. Really? Be, and I think it's because the way that hunts are set up. It, it, it The way I look at field trial, there's two different worlds, okay? You have your single-day guys. They, they can go to a hunt every weekend from about March to November. Mm-hmm. They can go, and there's a hunt every weekend. You can, I mean, just in Virginia, North Carolina, I could go, I could pick six or seven different places, get numbers for, and go run a hunt every weekend if I wanted to. Um, once you three days, you know, there's, there's three days all over the country that are still allow pen running, but they're, they're very spaced out. Like we have two big pens up here that do most of our, uh, most of our multi-day events mm-hmm. and that's pools, Fox reserve and tall river. And you're getting about one out of each pen a month from, say, April to the beginning of December. Mm-hmm. So it depends on how, what style running you're after. But these guys that pumpy hunt hard and are doing it for the, the breeding and to get their name out there and say, okay, my dog uh, 
so and so Giacomo is up there and he's doing good in the pucker world. Now you can buy him and go do him, yeah. and you'll use him wherever you want to. If he's got six hunts in before he's a year old, he's more prone to burnout. I see. But if you do like we do, that want to compete one dog, you know, a handful of dogs for two or three years, we take our time with it. Yeah. This dog's probably not going to see a competition until he's almost a year old. No. There's there's no reason to put the miles on him. It's more just slowly train, slowly get him up, and um and and make the longevity out of that hound a lot more and i'm not saying there's nothing wrong with either one but that just it, it tends to be the the cycle the guys that puppy hunt hard the dogs tend to burn out quicker than the dogs that uh, go into the multi-day world and are actually bred to use for a long time what uh, how big are the pins on average um I would say your your average is somewhere in the 150 to 300 acre yeah. Yeah, those are pretty range. Good Do what? I'm sorry. I said those are pretty good. That's bigger than most of the pens down here. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's there's smaller pens. Like, North Carolina's full of pens. Right. Virginia is Virginia's a little weird. There, there are there are pens, but there's nowhere near as many because we have a lot stricter laws. Like, we can't even have, we can't have coyotes. In our pens in Virginia, it's all strictly foxes. Um, Why? And I, I don't know. I wish somebody could answer that for me because I really don't know. So they don't yeah. like foxes as much as they like coyotes. I, and the bad thing is, is the fox, you know the coyotes are way more dangerous, yeah. way more dangerous. And I don't. I think it's because coyotes were introduced into Virginia, not necessarily just. I wonder because is there a market for live caught coyotes for the pens in North Carolina? There is. See, I wonder if they're there just is. trying to prevent uh, market trapping of coyotes. It, for some it probably is. It probably is, and then you got all kinds of people fighting because we're you know right now we're still allowed to do competition uh, predator hunts. Mm-hmm. And you got guys that are even trying to end those, which you know how it goes. There's oh, yeah. there's people trying to end everything out there. But I, I don't I don't know exactly why the coyotes are so protected in Virginia. But no, all we can have is um, all we can have is foxes up here. So it's it's a little weird. But uh-huh. you do have pens like there's a pen in Georgia that I think is uh, I've never got an exact number, but I'm hearing it's like 1,800 acres. Oh wow, that'd be cool. Yeah, it's a big pen. It's pretty much like having a hunt on the outside, yeah. but being actually being in the wire and keeping everything safe. So, do you guys then, uh, do you guys ever run run on the outside? I do. Okay. I do. I um, it, it's it, to me, it keeps the hunt in them. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so much game, especially down in Carolina. There's so much game in these pens that it, it's real easy for a dog to lose the the hunt. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's okay. I can, I can go down this road and I can find a trail that the coyotes have beat down and I can just get on that trail and eventually I'll just run into one. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that's true for every dog, but that, that tends to be the, the cycle. If you don't keep them on the outside and keep them, keep them true and make them, make them hold a scent instead of just, okay, I threw this one away, but if I just run down on the road a little bit, I'll be able to pick another one up Yeah. kind yeah. of thing. But yeah, I, I love running on the outside. I say we still, I mean, everybody, just nearly about everybody here still runs on the outside, especially in Iowa. Uh, Iowa, right. Iowa has a really good uh, running dog culture. Uh, northwest Iowa, even down here in south central Iowa, um, even with the deer hunters, because I think it's because we have so many large farms. Right. That right. are just, you know, you know, some of these guys are running five, 6,000 acres. And so, you know, you can, you can turn loose on a farm and stay there all day. You still have that ability, (laughs) you know, and you can't do that very often in other parts of the world. Definitely not around here. Our, our biggest track that our hunting club leases is just a touch over a thousand acres. So it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. And, um, what are, cause I know, is there landowner conflict? Is there, are your dogs tone broke towards the point where you can stop them if they're getting ready to get off your lease or because yes there is um uh, but uh, well uh, yes our dogs are is what i meant are usually tone broke um and around here um and and this is 
this is a big thing. You know, it's it's one of those things you always see more negative. I think it's just the way mm-hmm. social media has gotten. You always see more negative than you yep. see positive. We don't we rarely have an issue yep. around here. Most people understand um, the club is really good. I'm I'm actually the treasurer and secretary of, of our hunting club and my dad's the president. Um, and we try to make an effort if somebody new moves in around the hunting area, we try to always go introduce ourselves and explain to them like, look, Hey, when hunting season rolls around, this is possibly going to happen. We're just giving you a heads up. Um, you know, we want to know where you stand on it. Uh, if you allow us to go on your land, can we shoot? If you don't want us to go on your land at all, we respect that. Uh, if we have dogs to get stuck on your land that, you know, for some reason get just end up back there, uh, are we allowed to come in again? Do you have a phone number that we can contact? And it tends to keep the, the, the hunter slash landowner relationship very well around here. So we really don't have a big issue with it. But uh, most dogs now are tone broke, and, and you can pull them where you need to. That's one thing, because like you said, and I was going to touch on that too, I'm glad you mentioned it, is we only see the bad on social media. You see the dogs getting shot, you see the mm-hmm. deer hunter throwing a fit and stuff like that. But I've found, just like you have, that a good portion of our hunting is on whitetail outfitters. I right. mean, these, these are guys that make their living off bow hunters coming up from the south or from wherever and they still allow us to run dogs because we built that relationship you know right. we started by hunting just in may april and may and then pretty soon we're hunting 12 months a year on the place you know the only we're we're lucky enough to we get to do our sport after dark i mean all the deer hunters are in their cabin doing whatever deer hunters do <laughs> right. you know so right. but you know the, the landowner is very gracious very good and we built that relationship and we made a lot of friends just from knocking on doors and explaining what we are and what we're all about and i think that's lost on a lot of people as to you know everyone's woe is me and uh, deer hunters lease this property that I've been hunting for 40 years. I'm going to go in there anyway without talking to them. Uh, 99% of the time, just a, a rap on the door and a 12 pack of beer, will, you know, soothe just, right. soothe just about right. any, any angry deer hunter, you know? And That's so right. That's I'm right. glad to see that you guys are out there doing the same thing because I, I can't stress how important that is. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. And, and one thing that we've, especially, you know, that that relationship between the still hunter and that's what we call around here. Yeah. I don't you know. I don't know what areas, you know, that's what we call the guys that uh, are mostly uh, bow hunters, we just which we can't it, run during. Yeah. I say, we just call them deer hunters because our freaking MDC won't let us run deer or dogs. <laughs> right. Right. So that's what, there's so only one way them, to hunt deer here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So we call them still hunters. Right. That's, that's our, we're, we're the dog man and they're the still hunters. Yeah. That's, that's how, you know, it's labor around here. But, you know, we've talked to guys, um, a good buddy of mine actually is a, is an avid still hunter. And, um, you know, for a while until I actually talked to him, he, he hated the, the houndsman. He hated deer dogs. He hated everything they're about. You know, he had the, the, the bad rush in that you always hear about on Facebook yeah. and the, the negative energy that's always put out for it. But I went in there and talked to the guy and I said, you know, I talked to my buddy. I said, look, well, you know, what's your deal? He's like, I just don't like the fact that I'm sitting there, and the deer, the dogs jump a deer close by and they run the deer that was coming in. I said, why didn't you shoot it? Why didn't you think y'all wanted me to shoot it? I'm like, no, absolutely. Please shoot it. Yeah. That the, the goal of the hound, a true houndsman, the, the, the goal is to hear the dogs run, mm-hmm. enjoy the sound of the hound and to get the kill in front of the, in, in front of them. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care if it's Leroy from down the street. I don't care if it's me the the ultimate goal is to get the game and finish the game and have that prize for the dogs at the end and for the hunter to be able to collect yep. so i told him that and he was like man i just i never thought about it like that and he and after that i think he's killed two or three deer in front of the dogs and he had no issue with it yeah no issue with it since and we tried to explain that it's about the dogs and you hear this from guys that got, you know, they're, they're got Bob white quail in front of English pointers or they've, or they're running plots on bear or they they've got dogs out running lions out West or whatever. They don't care who shoots what, you know, right. a, lot of, a lot of these guys, a, a waterfowler that goes out there with his dog. Sometimes he don't even shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just out there yep. running his dog. 
Yeah, you got to shoot that bird to get that dog's work in, but he don't care if he shoots <laughs> it or not. <laughs> you know, right. when I'm working, right. when I'm working my lab, I don't. I'll sit in a blind with a young dog and not even take a gun. You know, yep. until I see people miss and. <laughs> you know, then, I, right. then I'm like, right. then I'm like, give me that thing. Unless I'm hunting with my son, I'm like, give me that thing. <laughs> Somebody's got to kill. Yeah, us, exactly. Someone's got to shoot something around here. But yeah, it's it's no, not no. it's not about who kills what. It's just about working the dog, and we're all dog men, and it's from every dog sport. You know, you get the same vibe from every good dog man. There, now there are people out there that use dogs just to kill the game, and I'm not knocking them if that's how they want to do it and they take good care of their dogs i don't care but uh 99 a vast majority of of dog people no matter what the game don't care who's taking the game that's right that's right i i've almost gotten to the point now where i enjoy i'm like like you mentioned i would almost rather not even take the gun i always keep the gun in the truck but i i got a buddy that i used to work with and I don't work there no more. And he still calls me at the beginning of the season. Okay, what weekend do you have open that can come? And yep. he comes, and every year, I've, every year he's came. He's been my good luck charm. He's killed a he's killed a deer in front of my dogs. Yep. And he he just he absolutely loves it. And that is more that is more thrilling to me than than killing. The, I mean, don't get me wrong. If I shot a, a wall hanger, I'd be ecstatic. But yeah. the satisfaction is it's a different satisfaction of, of your hounds running a deer in front of somebody and getting that, getting that kill in front of them. Yeah. I think that a lot of that comes with age too. It's just like, you know, we go turkey hunt. We got a good population of turkeys here and I don't care if I ever see another turkey hit the ground, but me and my son, (laughs) me and my son hunt hard and he shoots, I call and we have a good time, but you know, you get uh, how many, how many deer you got to see fall or how many turkeys you got to see fall or coon or bear or whatever before you're just like, you know, that's good. Right. I've had it. Right. Right. Yep. I'm I'm much more happy to, and maybe maybe I'm getting old too old too fast. I don't know. But the fact that I after the chase is over I can pick my dog, throw him back in the box and go on. I ain't gotta worry about gutting that stinking deer. Yeah. <laughs> worried about all that. I can go right back to another chase and get in on somebody else's dog's chase yeah. and then keep enjoying my day and I'm just as happy as a clam. What uh let's get back into the competition hunting a little bit. James, what? How do they score these dogs, and how many dogs are turned loose at the same time on a, on a, at a trial? So it it depends on the size of the fee, uh, size of the pen. Um, I know, like uh, some of your bigger pens, like the two big ones we have, are right at eight hundred, somewhere between eight hundred and a thousand acres that we have around here, and you can run up to, if I'm not mistaken, three hundred and fifty. Dogs? You have three hundred and fifty dogs. Yep. Three hundred and fifty. How many? What's the most you've ever seen turn loose? Uh, Four hundred. Holy! Cow, that is awesome. <laughs> that is, and man, it's at the same time. An, at the same time, it is an absolute screamer, man. It is an unreal sound. Do you have? Unreal. Do you have any videos of that? I do. I You're do. Have I have to, to email, send it to you. You have to email me so. Dude, it's 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 insane. It's it is a roar, and it will send chills up your spine. It's it's such a beautiful sound, such a. And that was that's what got me into it. Yeah. The first field trial I went to, the first field trial I went to actually was an it was an outside one, and um, I think it was probably like, I think it was three hundred and something pounds there. Um, but the outside, that's a whole different, that's a whole different subject. Yeah. That's a rabbit hole. But, um, but anyway, after I heard the roars and then I went to my first pen hunt and I just, the, the roar that you hear from a pen is like just that insane, <laughs> insane. Usually now your smaller pens, you know, there's limits. Um, you know, obviously you don't want, you don't want too many dogs in there or to cause any harm to game. Yeah. That is, you know, that, that's that's the biggest goal. And that's a big misconception about the field trial world and the competition side is, you know, everybody thinks that it's it's brutal in the game and it's unfair. But, you know, I'll, I'll throw this in there really quick. The the game that's in the pens probably live an easier and better life than what they do on the outside. Oh, They're yeah. fed daily. They are constant water source. And there are hideaway holes that are that legally – we have to have in the pens per amount of acreage. Right. And like a fox can only get, you know, a fox can get a little bitty pipe. So it's, there's pipes or whatever that's around 
and these foxes can go in and hide and sit there until the end of the hunt. When they hear the dogs quit running, they, they know the hunt's over and then come back out and enjoy life again. I say it probably doesn't take them very long to adapt to life in a pen and <laughs> getting away from dogs. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Um, and a lot of your bigger ones, they have, um, uh, they got a lot of, you know, foxes will naturally build holes. So yeah. they can build their own holes and they, you know, they they understand that, okay, if I hear the dogs coming, I can hide in the holes. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, 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 it's weird, but the, it's weird to explain, but the, some foxes just enjoy the chase and enjoy the being out there. It seems like, I mean, yeah. I've judged plenty of hunts and watched them then. Um, they just enjoy it. And if they don't, if they feel like they're tired, if they feel like they're getting worn out, they jump in a hole and they call it done. Yeah. The dog's got to go hunt again. Yep. No, I've seen coyotes that were getting run by dogs and come around back into the dog so they could take it back up again. Right. <laughs> I've, seen that. Right. I've seen that a few right. times, you know? And so I, I bet there is an aspect of entertainment in there for even the game prey species. I a hundred percent believe it is. Yeah. I a hundred percent believe it is. I mean, they're, I mean, they're fed well. They're eating. Usually these, these pens are feeding them, you know, dog food, yeah. you know, that's, I mean, that's what they feed them. They put it in a spreader and, and take a road and it's wild going in there and seeing it. But it's a good man, thing. Just, good you, thing. They're not feeding them joy. You'd never catch them. You never catch them. <laughs> never catch them. <laughs> so how do you, but, um, how do you score yeah. that many dogs? What's the scoring process? <sighs> So it's, it, I mean, there's a, there's a pamphlet. I'm sure, I'm sure it's the same in the cook, you know, the coon hunting world yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. But, um, the generally speaking, every dog's got a number on it. Right. You know, it's, it's either like the only, most of the events, it has to be painted on the side of it. Yep. Or, and, uh, then single days you can run jackets and stuff like that. Yep. But every dog's got a number. Um, then you have, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this. So a lot of your single days are just what they call speed and drive hunts. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much just the racetrack style. It's the, whatever dog comes out first gets 35 points. I so see. the game will cross the first dog on the track. You write the, you, you, most people have a voice recorder or recorder with their phone or something like that. Yep. And they, as the numbers come out, that's 35, 24, yep. 115, 363, you know, then it's, 35 points, 30, 25, 20, 15, and it stops at 15 usually. You yep. can keep scoring them, but the, the points stop at 15. I see. So every does, um, does every dog get 15 that's on that track? Behind, yes, that's behind Past, it okay. after a certain point. Okay. Yeah, after so a certain no, point. No, just, I see. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, the, the judge can use discretion. So, like, yeah. if a dog comes out, like, you know, 20 seconds after the pack, if he's dead nuts and he was and he's and he's balling, you know, absolutely giving bark for every breath, I, I might consider giving him the score. You know, yeah. he, he's he's doing the work, he's doing put in. But some judges might say, you know what, he's too far behind. I'm not going to give him that. Yeah. Um, but then you have, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, then you have your three day hunts and your one day what they call HGA. It's a hunting gross average uh, or general average, I think is what it actually is. Um, and that's a combination of speed and drive hunting, trailing, and endurance. And so you go out there, and there's a certain amount of points per hour in the hunting category that you can give them. I see. Yeah, so in the first hour, if I see a dog and the, and the running's not full-blown going, it kind of slowed down a little bit, and then uh, the dog's out there, and he's flipping leaves over, trying to find game, trying to get game back up, and he's just absolutely, you know, putting in work in, in, in a hunting style, then I can give him 10 points, I see. you know, for hunting. So you reward, then, you reward effort there. Yes, you yeah. reward effort. And it, it, it's based per hour. Like you can, the fifth hour of a hunt, you can give up to 30 points. Do you have any handlers uh, by you when this is going on? Cause if I'm a handler, no. Oh, really? <laughs> no, all, all the dog owners are outside the pen. No kid. You are. Yep. Yep. You are outside the pen. It is up to the judges to do everything and um, and keep all the dogs safe yeah. and score the hunt at the same time. Huh. So they just turn them loose and stand out there and let you all do the work and then see the scores yep. when they're there? That's it. That don't sound too That's bad. It. Of course, it takes yeah. it takes away my 
handler tactics. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm over there snoozing yeah, yeah. the judge and telling him how it should be scored and stuff. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. Now they, they now they'll say, you got to be careful as a judge because they'll sit on the outside and, and yell at you and tell you, "Hey, my dog just did this right here. You need to come down here." No, I can't do that, buddy. Yeah. Oh, no, I say you, I'd be sending you, you text messages me. and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> But no, like yeah, it's it, once once you cast, it, it's your your job is done. It's it's five it's four to five hours depending on what kind of hunting you're in of sitting back and 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 chewing your nails off in 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 anticipation of okay, what's my dog in there yeah. doing? You know, you can sit around the wire, and a lot of times there are a lot of good crossings that you can see. Yeah. Um, close to the wire, but most of the time the real action's inside the pen. That's why I enjoy judging hunts so much. Um, I try to judge at least a handful of uh, hunts a year on top of running and, and competing in them. So, well, yeah, that gives uh, you kind of an inside look as to what you need and what you have to do right. to compete and all that stuff too. I mean, you would think these guys would really want to judge just to see, you know, exactly what's going on and how they can get better. <laughs> You would think. <laughs> you would think. <laughs> they, they don't want to put in five hours of work too bad, then. <laughs> well, it, it, I get it. I, I do, and I, I don't. Uh, be careful with my, with my wording here. I understand that, like, I have dogs, you know, and I want to compete, and I'm working my butt off to compete these dogs, mm -hmm. and I have to give up a whole weekend and a whole hunt that I don't get a chance to to put my dog's name out there. Yeah. But. You need judges to make the sport continue. Yep. There's so many older generations. I don't know how it is with the coon hunts and stuff, but same way. The, these three day, these especially these multi day hunts. It's so many three day guys and, and judges that are the older generation that have been doing it since it began, and they're starting to phase out. They're starting to get too, you know, they're starting to get too old to really run a gun and chase these chases down and chase these, you know, these hunting dogs down, and you can see it on the scoring a lot. Yeah. So we need the younger generation to step up yep. and, and get in there. I know it's hard with work because most of these hunts are ran on Friday, Saturday, Sundays. But so you got to take a day off of work. Yeah. And you're killing a whole weekend, but it, without people coming and judging and, and getting involved in, in the younger generation and understanding how this thing works and the sport's going to die. And I just, I'm, that was one of the reasons I started the, my, my, the Houndstails podcast is, I, I fell in love with the sport so fast and got into it so hard. I, I want to see more people getting, you know, kind of get that same passion about it and do whatever we can do to keep the sport alive. What, because we have that same problem. Um, and we, we hunt for so much money. I mean, just mm -hmm. oodles of money. They just had a $6,500 entry fee hunt down in junction, Illinois last weekend. Um, mm. $18,000 per night to first place. So, you know, you can win damn near $50,000, you know, just or over. Yeah, they're, whatever 18 times three is, my math sucks. 40, whatever <laughs> sounds something, almost $50,000. But, right. uh, you know, you we can't get judges even at those, and they pay pretty good. Uh, when I go right. to a pro classic, I'll probably get, I think it's $1,000 for the weekend uh, mm -hmm. is what I got paid last time. But also, you know, motels are higher, fuel's higher. Uh, these guys that are really good at, at judging sometimes are spread all over the country, and you can't get four really good. You can't get the four best judges every weekend. Right. And so, you know, my, my theory has always been paying more. Is that something that can be done with the Foxhounds? I mean, do you guys get paid anything? Not, not usually. Yeah. Not the ones that I've been to. Um Usually you get a gift of some sort. Yeah. Um, so Virginia is also really funny about that. You cannot field trial for for money in Virginia either. Huh. Like the, it's all prizes that you win. Um, it's all like uh, tracking collars, you know, new GPSs. That's some rich uh, man coolers. north of Richmond stuff there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. You can't do 100%. nothing fun in this state. For no, you really can't. <laughs> it's, it's awful. It's awful. Huh. But uh, but no, and but it it costs so much money to put on these hunts, and it's you're you're not talking nowhere near the entry fees. And yeah, yeah, it's a lot of dogs. But once you talk about expenses, and 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 the payback, um, usually your judges get. Their gas covered, their hotel room covered, 
and their food covered. Mm -hmm. And some places will give them money, you know, maybe a hundred, 200, 300 bucks, something like that. Maybe it's it's south of, south of border, but up here, it's usually like a a gift of some sort, like a, you know, like a Yeti or, you know, something simple. But for these organizations to continue putting on these, these, these hunts, they're, they're not able to, provide that much back to the judges it all has to be on it all has to be on the passion of the judges honestly as bad as that sounds but that's that's what you have to do hmm. is is you just got, be willing to okay i gotta go out there and do it maybe maybe i'll get a little something out of it but if not at least i get to enjoy a weekend of listening to hounds wow. do what they do you got me you got me thinking about a solution to this problem i'm gonna figure something out for you <laughs> Yeah. Just, yeah. Once you said that, I'm just like, huh, uh, that, 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 that seems like an easy problem to fix, but I bet it ain't. <laughs> it, it, it is. But, well, the pens, the pens have to keep money, yeah. you know, because they got to feed foxes year round. So yeah. they have a per dog um, fee for the hunts. Yep. So I don't I don't know exactly what those are. I think you know um, usually it's like forty five dollars a a dog is what the pen charges something like that depending on where you're at. Yeah. So you know even like we the we got a local hunt coming up here and it's a hundred dog limit, and if the pen's charging forty dollars a dog, then the pen's only making you know if they get a full field of a hundred dogs they get you know they make them what six excuse me six thousand four grand and that's yeah, yeah so, $4,500. Yeah, so you, you, my math's just as bad yeah. as what we were talking about <laughs> I was earlier. Say, that, was an e- that was an easy one. That wasn't even 18 I times just, 3. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, so the you know the pen's only making that much, and then the organization, by the time they pay back, by the time they buy collars, buy the ton of dog food, buy all the meals, buy all the gas, you know, these, these yeah. pens might, you know, these hunting organizations are – are close to breaking even. Yeah. So it's, it, it's tough. It's, it's a tough sport and I, I'd love to see it get a little bit more. Um, uh, I'd like to see it a little bit more financially stable, but it's, it's more or less the, the organizations that were able to make money for a while before things got so expensive. Uh-huh. It's, it's a real, it's a real limbo game. It seems like for them of outpricing themselves of entry fees and keeping themselves enough to stay afloat. Yep. No, it is a fine, it's a real it's a fine line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think is it getting better? You think? Um. I, I see. I've only been in it for about four years. Yeah. This is only about my fourth year into the field trial world, so it's real hard for me to say yes or no. It's right. getting better. Um. I, right now, I think it's kind of a stagnant. Uh, I'm on the board for a couple, and um, not to put too much information out there, but there a lot of these a lot of these seem to just be kind of breaking even. Yeah, yeah. it's more of a break even. Okay, we're here. We got this money in the bank, and this is how we're going to stay afloat. And this is what we got to do. Yeah, and that's pretty much where it's at because you know, me and you talked about it before. You know, you're, you're talking about a a $6,500 entry fee. Mm-hmm. If you get something for a multi-day hunt for a three-day hunt and it's over $125 to enter, enter your dog, then it's like, okay, I'm not going to that. That's way too much money. Yeah, Way too much money. But some of these guys are also entering, you know, eight to 20 hounds. Yeah. I was, so that's what I was, getting ready, I was getting ready to ask. Wouldn't it be more suited for the hunter to have – you know, because I know these guys got a lot of dogs, and these the, your sport is so taxing on dogs that you have to have a pretty good size pack if you're going to do it three, four, five days a week. Because Correct. you you mentioned dogs that needed to rest for a week, you know, and that's yeah. that's you can't just hunt one day on Saturday and be like, well, my dog needs a week off, <laughs> and you still right. want to go hunting, so you get more dogs. Uh, yes, that makes sense. But wouldn't it from the outside looking in? I'm thinking, so yeah, you've got ten dogs, and you can hunt pretty hard but get two really really good ones <laughs> you know and just pay the entry fee on those two uh um, that, is that something that can be done because i know it, 
it sounds easy to get two really, really good ones, but I'm sure that's harder than it sounds too, you know, to get, you know. It, it, it is. It's very hard. It's very hard. Like I'm four years in and just this year I started hitting really good. Yeah, I'm not going to say really good. I still haven't won a hunt yet, but I'm placing and getting my name called and getting, you know, a little, little reward at the end of the yeah. day and getting recognized, but I still haven't won a hunt yet. Yeah. But like I said, you go to some of these big hunts, you're competing against, 400 hounds right 300 hounds most the way most people look at it if you can afford to do it why are you going to send two dogs in there to be seen instead of sending 15 dogs in there to get seen yeah um so i guess it really just depends um especially if you're hunting into bigger pens you can do what they call getting lost in the pen yeah um like i said it's very hard for us to get judges. So a lot of these three day hunts, you're only getting, you know, anywhere from 15 to 25 judges. Oh, it, takes that, that, it takes that many. Yeah. I guess with that many dogs, oh, it probably it, would take that many. Well, it's not necessarily the dogs. It's the acreage. Yeah. It's the acreage and being able to catch these crossings. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a lot of roads to cover. It's a lot of ground to cover. You know, you're in these 800 acre pens, in, in theory, the perfect hunt, you'd have 35 judges in there. Yeah. And you could have it completely covered. You never have a dog lost. Yeah. But so say your dog is a, a great quality hound. And I've, I've had this before. You know, I'm not saying I have the best dog in the world. What I'm saying is, like, I've had a dog that goes in there and knows how to hunt very well. So he was got stuck in a section where there was, like, one judge or yeah. two judge. So instead of getting, when he got on a, on a chase and was chasing, instead of getting scored every five or 10 minutes, he's getting scored once every 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So he's doing the same amount of work over here in this corner as he is, as the dog over here that's getting scored three times as much as he is. Yeah. So, it sounds like <laughs> there's a little bit of luck involved into just getting your dog scored. Correct. It yeah. is. It is. It's, it's a game of, of luck. You gotta have you gotta have your gun loaded and, and bring the best dog that you absolutely have. And what I mean by that, you gotta bring the best that you can bring. Then the rest of it is up to the good Lord and in them. Huh. Well, no wonder I yep. wouldn't pay a sixty five hundred dollar entry for a dog that might have a right. chance of not getting judged too. You know, right? That, that's right. That, and that, that plays and... a factor into you know, some of that stuff, because, you know, there's still a chance your dog's not even going to, it may be the best dog out there and it's not even going to get looked at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've had uh, a buddy of mine had a dog that went out there and won two, three day hunts in a row. And the next hunt that he went to, he got lost for a day and he didn't even place. He didn't even finish inside the top 10. Wow. And it was probably the best dog in the whole field. Yeah. But just kind of, it's 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 a gamble you take. Um, that's why a lot of the smaller pens, if they can hold, they don't put as many dogs in there. But yeah. that's why a lot of the smaller pens hold uh, hunts, and they're usually it's a little bit more competitive. Yeah. Um, and you don't quite have as much of a chance. If you can put fifteen judges in a three hundred acre pen, you're going to cover it pretty well. Right. You're going to cover it pretty well. It's very unlikely that your dog gets stuck and and, and gets unseen. But yeah. your bigger pens, it can happen. Yeah. Huh. It can happen. I'm learning all kinds of new stuff about this. I'm kind of I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to build a pen. <laughs> Sounds no. fun. <laughs> no. but, oh man, it's a blast! If you ever come to the East Coast, you got to come check it out. Man. I definitely you will come check it out. One thing that that strikes me is the infrastructure that you guys have to have to hold these events is not necessarily more. It is more in a sense, but it's completely different than what a lot of these dog sports have. You know, because mm-hmm. you have to have the pen. The pen costs money. You have to feed the game. The game cost that costs money. You said collars. You, I assume there's there's grounds. You know, with that many people and that many dogs, I'm sure there's facilities on the grounds and all that stuff. You know, they got to pay to keep the lights on. And yes. you know, there's yes. these clubs, these hunting clubs with the, or these big pens. That's a lot of infrastructure to take care of, especially during the off season, because you still got to take care of all that stuff when it's not running season too. Correct. Correct. And so the way the, uh, your off season is usually from December to about January, February, somewhere in there. And that's, um, that's our legal trapping and, uh, restocking for the pens. I see. That's when they can, that's when they can do it. So especially your coyotes, you know, coyotes, 
you cannot take a Cody from the outside and expect to put a three-year-old dog that's running, you know, 14 miles an hour for five hours in there and not, you know, not cause any harm to the game. Yeah. So a lot of these pins and the Coyote pins at the beginning of the year are starting off puppies and starting younger dogs that aren't, aren't as fast or a little bit slower yeah. and, you know, that kind of thing. But, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot involved in, into the, and that's where that, that cost per dog, you know, really yeah. comes into play. Um, that's this <laughs> fascinating stuff because <laughs> I didn't, oh, man, you know, I've got a, I've got some, of course I've got running dog buddies and I've got guys that compete in some of these stuff, but I've never really thought about how the events are held and the magnitude of, cause I mean, just turning 400 dogs loose is, is mind boggling. <laughs> right. Right. Like I have no idea. Like I don't know how many do y'all normally turn loose at a coon hunt? Four at a time. <laughs> no kidding. <Yeah. laughs> no kidding. No, we'll turn, yeah, see. we're all, we all draw up into casts. Um, right. Like this weekend is super stakes. There'll be a hundred dogs there a night. All, all week long right uh, but there's only there's 25 casts they all go different directions from the clubhouse and they hunt against mm-hmm. three other dogs you beat them three other dogs and you advance gotcha yeah gotcha. so it's kind of like a tournament gotcha. format four dogs at a time we don't have to have a pin we don't have to feed the coons we don't have to do any of that we got to pay 40 dollars to a guide and off we go guide takes us wow. to, to his farm here you go turn them loose and off we go and that's the hunt Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. See, I've, I've never been, it's a little bit, it's not quite as popular around here, but I mean, I've been coon hunting with people, but yeah. I've never, I've never seen the competition side of it. So that's, yeah. you know, well, there's not, if they don't pay money, if you can't compete for money, then there ain't going to be very many competition hunts where you're at. <laughs> right. Cause that's what these right, guys do. Exactly. I mean, there are, there are UKC clubs, I'm sure in Virginia, maybe there's some PKC clubs that some got some kind of permit or something. I don't know, but I think there's hunts in Virginia. There is, there yeah. is. And, and, and the bad thing is, I, I, I don't quote me on this. You might be able to hold a, a hunt, coon hunts for money, but it's yeah. something that these field trial. It's like I wonder, it's like if, it's it's, I wonder if it's because it's in a pen. I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. They're they're trying real hard to shut them down. They're yeah. trying very very hard to shut them down. Um, and I'm praying that I'm praying that there's a long time before that. Yeah. But we'll uh, we'll see. I mean. I already told the wife, I said, the moment they shut them down, you might want to start packing your bags. We might be moving, moving south. Yep. <laughs> Going to a more Republican state. <laughs> I don't blame you. So what can fellow houndsmen, because there's going to be a lot of houndsmen listening to this that are not familiar with the sport. Uh, what can they do to help you guys, you know, because like houndsman XP is fantastic about, you know, mm keeping track of new laws coming up and informing the hound hunting public and stuff. But what can we do as a community to help preserve deer dogs and preserve running coyotes and pens and foxes and pens? Because it's not, uh, I know it, get, it gets a bad rap, but you, the deer dogs are just under fire all the time. All the time, all the time. We're at Virginia's actually under a, a hound dog study is what they're calling it right now. And I, I think it's going good uh, from everything that I'm hearing and that I'm under, understanding. But um, as far as your question goes, anytime you see anything, I don't care what form of hunting or especially involving dogs, uh, make your voice heard. Make yeah. your voice heard to protect it. Uh, we all have to look out for each other. We got to understand that no no houndsmen well, let me rephrase that different forms of hound hunting is not the enemy yeah it's they're not the enemy no i you know i if i don't i'm not a firm believer in the whole you can't give them an inch you can't compromise i'm not a firm believer in that but if they eliminate deer dog hunting the next thing they're coming for is bear hunting yeah and the next thing they're coming for is coon hunting. And eventually all your hound dogs are going to be wiped out. Yeah. There's going to be no form of hound hunting. So what I always tell people, even if they're not involved in the sport is if you are in the state and you're listening and you see here of anything that you can do to support, um, support hound hunting, then make your voice heard, message your senators, message, you know, email your delegates and all that kind of stuff. And that 
believe it or not, that that actually gets a lot more momentum heard. Um, mm-hmm. If there's organizations like Virginia has the Virginia Dog Hunting Alliance, that's a big organization um, that's that's very um, very involved in all that stuff. They do a tremendous job of of staying up there and staying on top of things and doing everything they can. If you can support them in any kind of way, that's the best way to do it. Like uh, I know a buddy of mine, he he hosts a a hunt and everything that comes from that hunt goes straight to the Virginia Dog Hunting Alliance. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying that everybody needs to go out there and host a hunt for, you know, that. But to me, that's the biggest thing is just understand that nobody's the enemy or let me rephrase that again, that other forms of dog hunting are not the enemy. We all got to stick together in this and, and put up the fight so that we all can continue to do what we love to do. What a, what advice would you give to uh, your fellow deer hunters as, or deer or deer doggers and, and running dog guys as far as preserving the sport? Because I know on our end, you know, I'm always preaching to these guys on there's ways that we can conduct ourselves that – you know you put we put ourselves in a positive light you know on everything from social media to being out in the public to when i'm when i leave out wednesday you know i'm gonna have my dogs at the motel and every time my dogs are at the motel someone comes up and asks kind of what kind of dogs they are what i'm doing all that stuff um what would you say to the fellow deer doggers out there on on that front stay calm and think before you act that is the two things that I always stress. Um, it's very easy to be overly passionate about these dogs. These dogs are my family. You know, I love these dogs to death. I got one that I'm going to cry like a little baby when it's time to put him down. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to cry like a little baby. But if somebody threatened my dog, it's going to be very easy for me to get hot about it. Could be very if he's on somebody's land and they threaten my the the safety of my hound, then I'm going to get very hot. But I have to stay calm and not do nothing stupid. Yeah, you cannot act before thinking. You cannot act out of passion as much as we want to. You have to be smart. And social media is going to be the death of us if people don't start posting. Don't stop posting just completely unnecessary things on Facebook. Yeah, foolishness. Post and foolishness. foolishness. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Anything that you think is a little off kilter, then it does not need to be posted. Yep. It does not need to be posted. Be smart. If you, you know, <clears throat> and, and I guess that's what I mean by the be patient thing yep. is like, you know, just breathe, relax. Okay. It's, it's okay. Your dog's safe. Or even if uh, somebody has acted foolish, don't don't make more out of it needs to be made out of it. We have to be the good people. Yep. We have to be the good people. Yeah, that is that, that's that my is advice. A, that is a good way to put it. That we have to be the good people because we're the ones under fire, and right. we're the ones looked down upon. We can't, you know, we we have to be humble, and even when we don't want to, right. Yeah, right. it's difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult, but one yeah, thing, humble is, is one a, thing I always get part. a kick out of is when, because you'll see it on social media, some landowner pulls a gun, waves. It, it happens. It's so rare, it, you know. But you know, them them guys say that guy pulled a gun on me. I would do this, and you know, if some guy pulls a gun on me, I'm giving him my dog. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, if I'm unarmed and he's he's waving a Glock at me, I'm just like, you know, you can do whatever. I'm good. I'm gonna right. back out of here, and uh, I'm sure sorry I woke you up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what? Just call me when you're ready. How about yeah, that? How's that? <laughs> nope. Yep. I agree. I agree. A hundred percent. It's you got to stay calm in those situations. You yeah, because to. bad things happen. We just had a really good coonhound well-known coonhound of Vanover's uh, shot the other night. And I'm not, right. I'm not familiar with the circumstance or how it happened or why it happened or who it did it yet. I'm sure they're working on, they're working on it right now. The Hoosier dog Alliance or Hoosier tree dog Alliance is, is really good about helping hunters and stuff like that. And so they're working on it, but 
Just like you said, as much as we love our dogs, and I've got one laying right here next to me too that'll die right here at this house that I raised. I held him from a baby, and he'll die right here with me. But they're not worth my life or even the life of that asshole landowner that's waving the gun around. Right. Uh, human human life right. is, is different to me. And yep. so we got to sit back and we got to think and we got to do things the right way. Otherwise, none of that is going to get fixed. Right. Right. I agree 100%. And I, and I will say for a lot of hunting clubs that are listening, you've got to be, for lack of terms, you got to be ballsy. Yeah. You have to eliminate your bad apples. Yeah. If you can, bad apples need to be held accountable and either sat down and explained, hey, you can't do this around here. If you do this again, you will be removed. Yeah. You know, we've, we've had to remove members in our club. It sucks. It's, it's a, it's a very stressful thing to do to tell somebody, hey, I know you love the sport, but you're a little, you're a little carried away right now. You may need need to mature a little bit and come back here in a couple of years. But if we don't start start holding people accountable and eliminating those bad apples from the situation, then they the the, the one bad apple out of the other uh, you know ninety nine in the bushel can ruin it for those ninety nine that are doing yep. everything they need to be doing. Especially in this day and age where everybody knows exactly what's been said and what's being done because it's all over the internet. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Everybody's more everybody's more prone to post. Uh, something and share something that's a negative than it is a positive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there, there's a field trial that, um, that I think it, I'm trying to get the pronunciation of this hospital, the bomber, I think is how you say it. Mm-hmm. They do there. It's an organization. It's a group of people that hold a hunt and every year they're donating six figure amounts to this children's hospital hospital. Mm-hmm. They're holding a hunt in between the hunt, uh, uh, raffles, donations, sponsors, all that kind of stuff. It's usually a six figure amount every year that it's getting donated straight to this children's hospital. And that post will get shared, you know, 15, 20 times, yeah. but you have your, your dog owner gets uh, caught on somebody's land and, and, and he's not supposed to be there. Then that, that post is going to get shared 600 times. Yep. Sad world we live it's, in, James. It's a sad world. Sad world. Well, you're making it better, one hunt at a time, it sounds like to me. We're trying, buddy. We're trying. <laughs> James, this was fantastic. We're going to go ahead and call her a night, but we're going to get together and do this again, and uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, you get your Absolutely. podcast up and running and going good. I know it's you got her fired back up now, and you need a guest. You holler at me. It may not be very interesting, yes. but you know, I'll be happy to join you. <laughs> hey, just this kind of conversation, if we can carry that, it'll be but, just it'll be worth every second. I agree. I agree. Worth every second. But uh, anything you want to add, James, before we, we call her a night? I, I believe I'm good. I just I appreciate the opportunity to come on here and, and, and let, you know, let maybe some people that aren't familiar with the deer dog world and the, and the field trial world kind of maybe have a little better understanding and hopefully it gained a little bit more respect. And, uh, and uh, just thank you and thank you enough for allowing me to come on here and do this. All right. Well, I appreciate you being on, James, and we'll definitely do it again. So, uh, yeah uh i'll I'll definitely keep in touch and you do the same and we'll just keep fighting a good fight absolutely buddy i appreciate it all right thank you james yes sir